Hi, I'm Father Gregory Pine. And I'm Father Jacob Bertrand Jancic. And you're listening to the Catholic Classics Podcast, where we seek to grow our interior lives by learning from the Church's greatest saints and teachers. Each season, we'll read through a great work, explain its spiritual principles, and help you apply its timeless wisdom to your life. The Catholic Classics Podcast is brought to you by Ascension. This season, we are reading Ascension's edition of Confessions by St. Augustine. A few reminders before we get started. To download the reading plan for Confessions, visit ascensionpress.com slash catholicclassics or text CONFESSIONS to 33777. Click follow or subscribe in your podcast app for daily notifications. This is day 36. Today we'll be reading book 10, chapters 1 through 5 in the Ascension edition of the book. If you'd like to hear some of our conversations on other subjects, follow up with us and three of our brother priests on the podcast Godsplaining. There you will find weekly episodes on a variety of Catholic themes with occasional guests, scriptural meditations, and special series. You can find Godsplaining with any podcast app on YouTube and at godsplaining.org. Okay, before we get into the reading, a quick look at what we'll be covering today. Uh, so as we made mention in the bonus introductory episode to book 10, this is the 10th and final book of the narrative piece, that is to say the piece which describes his life, before we get to the three final books which are about sacred scripture. Uh, and you'll also notice that this is the least narrative of the narrative books. So St. Augustine is taking us through some philosophical exercises in preparation for a kind of general confession, which is to say an accounting of where he stands before the Lord at this stage in his life, some, you know, 10 to 12 years after his conversion. So we'll take what he has to share with us in that spirit. All right, let's go ahead and get started. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Breathe in me, O Holy Spirit, that my thoughts may all be holy. Act in me, O Holy Spirit, that my work too may be holy. Draw my heart, O Holy Spirit, that I love but what is holy. Strengthen me, O Holy Spirit, to defend all that is holy. Guard me then, O Holy Spirit, that I always may be holy. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Chapter 1. Let me know you, O Lord, the one who knows me. Let me know you as I am known. Strength of my soul, enter into it and make it fit for you, that you may have and hold it without spot or wrinkle. This is my hope, and therefore do I speak, and in this hope I rejoice, when my rejoicing is truly sound and healthy. Other things in this life should be grieved over less, all the more that they are grieved over, and the more that things should cause sorrow, the less do men feel such sorrow. For behold, you love the truth, and he who does the truth comes to the light. This is what I wish to do in my heart, in confession now before you, and in my writing before many witnesses. Chapter 2 What could be hidden within me from you, if I were not to confess it, O Lord, before whose gaze the abyss of man's conscience stands naked? If I were to do that, I would hide you from me, not me from you. But now, because my groans bear witness to the fact that I am displeasing to myself, you shine forth and are pleasing, loved, and longed for, so that I may be ashamed of myself and be led to renounce myself and choose you, pleasing neither you nor myself except in you. Therefore, to you, O Lord, I am open, whatever I am, and I have already spoken of whatever fruit might be found in confessing to you. Nor do I make this confession with bodily words and sounds, 
but with the words of my soul and the cry of thought that your ear hears. For when I am evil, then confession to you is nothing other than the expression of displeasure with myself. But when confession is piously made, it is nothing other than an admission that all this comes not from me. For you, O Lord, bless the godly, but you first justify him when he is ungodly. Therefore, O my God, my confession is made in silence in your sight, and yet not silently. In sound it is silent, but in affection it cries aloud. For neither do I utter to men anything right that you have not already heard from me, nor do you hear from me anything that you did not first say to me. Chapter 3 What then is the purpose of speaking such confessions to men, as though they could heal all of my infirmities? They are a race that is curious to know about the lives of others, while slothful to amend their own. Why do they seek to hear from me about what I am, these men who will not hear from you concerning what they themselves are? And when they hear what I say about myself, how do they know whether my words are true? For no man knows what is in man except the spirit of man that is in him. But if they hear from you about themselves, they cannot say, The Lord is a liar. For what does it mean for them to hear from you about themselves, if not to know themselves? And who knows and says, It is false, unless he himself lies? However, because charity believes all things, that is, among those whom it makes one by binding them to itself, I too, O Lord, will thus confess to you, so that men may hear, though I cannot demonstrate to them whether my confessions are true. Yet those whose ears are open to me by charity will believe what I have to say. Yet you, O physician of my innermost depths, make plain to me what fruit I might reap from doing so. For when one reads and hears the confession of my past sins, which you have forgiven and covered over, so that you might bless me in you, changing my soul through faith in your sacrament, the heart is stirred up so that it may not sleep in despair and say, I cannot. Rather, it may be awake in the love of your mercy and the sweetness of your grace, by which whoever is weak is strong when your grace makes him conscious of his own weakness. And good men take delight in hearing about the past evils committed by those who are now freed from them, not because they are evils, but because they once existed, but now no longer do. With what fruit then, O Lord my God, to whom my conscience daily confesses, trusting more in the hope of your mercy than in its own innocence, with what fruit, I pray, do I confess in this book to men who are also in your presence, telling them what I now am and not what I once was? For I have seen and spoken about that other fruit, but various people who have heard from me or about me wish to know what I am now, at the very time of making these confessions, though their ear is not close by to my heart now, where I am, whatever I am. They wish, therefore, to hear me confess what I am within, where neither their eye nor ear nor understanding can reach. They wish to hear of this as men ready to understand, but will they know it? For the charity that makes them to be good men tells them that I do not lie in my confessions, and it is that very charity in them that believes me. Chapter 4 But what fruit would they like to draw from hearing this? Did they desire to rejoice with me upon hearing how near, by your gift, I draw close to you? And do they desire to pray for me when they hear how much I am held back by my own weight? To such men I will reveal myself, for it is no small fruit, O Lord my God, that many thanks should be given to you on our behalf, and that many might beseech you on our behalf. Let the brotherly mind love in me what you teach us to be loved, and let him lament in me what you teach us to be lamented. Let this be the response of a brotherly mind, not that of a stranger, not that of the strange children whose mouth speaks of vanity and whose right hand is the right hand of iniquity, a brotherly mind that rejoices for me when it approves of what it reads and feels sorrow for me when it disapproves of me, for whether it approves or disapproves, it loves me. 
To such minds will I reveal myself. They will breathe freely at my good deeds and sigh at my evil ones. My good deeds are gifts appointed by you. My evil deeds are my offenses from my hand and judgments from yours. Let them breathe freely at the first and sigh at the other. And let hymns and weeping ascend in your sight from the hearts of my brethren, who are your censors. And Lord, be pleased with the incense of your holy temple and have mercy upon me according to your great mercy. For your own namesake, and in no way forsaking the work you have begun, make perfect my imperfections. This is the fruit of my confessions concerning what I am, not what I have been, confessing these words not only before you in secret exultation with trembling and secret sorrow with hope, but also in the ears of believing sons of men who are sharers in my joy, partners in my mortality, my fellow citizens, and my fellow pilgrims who have gone before or will follow after as companions on my way. These are your servants, my brethren, whom you have willed to be your sons. These are my masters whom you have commanded me to serve if I should live with you and upon you. But this your word would have done little if it were to command only by speaking and not by actively doing. So this too will I do in deed and word, doing so under your wings. Though how great would be my peril if my soul were not submissive to you under your wings, and my infirmity made known to you. I am a little one, but my father lives forever and my guardian is sufficient for me. For he who begot me also defends me, and you are yourself all my good. Yes, you, Almighty One, who are with me, indeed before I am with you. Therefore, to those whom you have commanded me to serve, I will now reveal not what I have been, but rather what I now am and what I yet am. But still, I do not judge myself, and let me be heard in a similar spirit. Chapter 5 For you, O Lord, judge me, because although no man knows the things that are in a man except for the spirit that is in him, nonetheless there is something in man that also is not known by his own spirit within him. But you, O Lord, know the whole of man, for you have fashioned him. Yet, though in your sight I despise myself and account myself to be but dust and ashes, nonetheless I know something about you that I do not know about myself. Truly, we now see through a glass darkly, not yet seeing face to face. Therefore, for as long as I am absent from you, I am more present with myself than I am with you. And yet, I know that you suffer from no change. But as for me, I know not what temptations I may or may not be able to resist. But there is hope, for you are faithful, you who will not allow us to be tested beyond our strength, but ordain that along with the temptation there be a way of escape, so that we might be able to bear it. Therefore, I will confess what I know about myself, and will also confess what I do not know. For what I know about myself I know in your light, and what I do not know about myself I will not know until my darkness is made like the noonday in the light of your countenance. In reading these chapters, one of the things that really leaps off the page, one of those things that often impresses the reader, is that St. Augustine is passionate to get at the truth. So he's not just trying to tell a beautiful story. Uh, he's not falling in love with his own voice oratorically or rhetorically. He's trying to access what the real facts are so that he can set them before the Lord. Not that the Lord needs to know them, because obviously the Lord, as the creator of all things, knows them most intimately, so that he can be reconciled to those facts of the matter, uh, so that he can adopt a stance of real penitence, uh, so that he can offer himself more wholeheartedly and perfectly to the Lord. So yeah, there's a book that, that we often read in Dominican circles called The Intellectual Life. And in the beginning of that book, the author says that we need to love the truth more than ourselves, which is a kind of strange and paradoxical way to capture the same insight. But Father Jacob Bertrand, in thinking of, you know, how we stand before the Lord, how do we kind of perform this, you know, penitential exercise or this mortification of reconciling ourselves to the truth? 
There's, I guess it, it falls under the category of the light. That's what I think of here. You know, the, the light of Christ shining, shining in the darkness and not just the darkness of the world, but the darkness of our own lives. You know, what we, what we've done, good and bad, needs to be in some ways, in, in a sort of prudential way, brought to the light. And in St. Augustine's case, as we mentioned, when we were first beginning this season with St. Augustine and the Confessions, you know, one of the reasons why St. Augustine is writing his confessions, making his confession, is to give a sort of legitimacy to his life, to his conversion, and to his role in, in the church. So I think, for me, there's always a question of like how much to say and how much not to say about past sins or this sort of thing. But in this instance, St. Augustine gives a whole recounting of his life. I mean, not every graphic detail as it were, but a, a recounting of his life so as to witness to the Lord's work, but also, sort of, you know, draw others along. I think we see this in his life, you know, as we've read with his friends and family to be drawn along in their journey to Christ. So it serves multiple purposes, I think. It's not just a sort of, listen to me, I want to tell you about me kind of thing. Yeah, and I think in the process or like along the way, St. Augustine gives us some nice indications for how we should prepare our own kind of witness or testimony. Now, some of us will be called upon to give a quote-unquote witness talk or to share our testimony, whether in the context of a small faith group or like a discipleship type relationship or whatever it is. But um, when we do that, there are various ways in which it can go wrong. I don't say this so that we all feel anxious when we next share our you know, vocation story, as it were, um, just riddled with doubts about how we are to recount these facts. But I say this because St. Augustine is modeling for us the confession of his faith. Uh, so you know, he starts with this recognition that God sees it, so there's no real sense in holding it back. Right, so God knows it's a matter of our confessing to God what he knows so that we can be kind of worked into or assimilated to the very knowledge of God. And we can kind of share in the gaze of God, which is to say, you know, God's provident. He sees how all things are well disposed. He causes them to be well disposed. He's orchestrating them to the, so that they redound to his glory and our salvation. And we can actually have a share in God's gaze by looking at ourselves, by looking at our lives with a kind of sincerity or genuineness, right? An evangelical sincerity or genuineness. So like no sense in hiding. But then the next question is, well, what do I share? Because you don't want to overshare or share in a disproportionate way because, you know, you want to share before other people what is appropriate for them to hear. And so he says, okay, I'm going to confess the whole man, thought, word, and deed. Not going to hold anything back, but I'm going to do so in a way that's calibrated to my audience. So you've noticed already, you know, like along the way in reading the confessions that he doesn't actually describe sexual acts. He describes inordinate sexual desire and the pertinent circumstances, but he doesn't get into details because he's not glorifying the sin, right? Because he's confessing to men for their edification to help them to formulate their own testimony. So um, yeah, Father Jacob Bertrand, you are a connoisseur of testimonies and witness talks. Uh, what, what do we have here in St. Augustine that helps orient us for our own lives? Mm. I don't know if I'm a connoisseur of testimonies and witness talks. I don't know what that means, but perhaps I I kind of cringe when I hear those things. You know, when when someone is going to give their witness or a testimony, and not because it's not as if God isn't working in this person's life or whatever, but often it goes into a sense of oversharing just for the sake of sensationalizing. You know, of like this was so incredibly bad or wrong, and this is how the Lord saved me, and now everything's great. And neither of those things are, are true, that everything was horrific, and now everything is great, because that's not what, you know, holiness is about. Um, but I think, as, as you were saying, Father Gregory, there, here in St. Augustine, we see a kind of like 
the sort of bumpers of what is good to bear forth. And and there's no sense in reading, you know, in reading these 10 books about his life, there was never a point where I was like, eh, that's a little bit of an overshare or that's a little too much. But there was also, there's not been a point where I was like, also like, there's something missing, you know, like he's hiding something. It's kind of an appropriate level. So I think we should take our cues from from St. Augustine, other saints too, but, you know, we're reading St. Augustine. So from St. Augustine and recognize that there's a sort of prudence that ought to dictate what it is and how it is that we give witness to the Lord and give witness to the Lord's work in our lives such that we don't sensationalize or scandalize or, yeah, any of those ising things. <laughs> Yeah, and I think too, I've heard it said that holiness is a secret between you and the Lord, not in the sense that you privatize your Christian life uh, because of embarrassment that other people might judge you or might think strangely of you, but in the sense that there's a kind of intimacy and intensity to that relationship, and you don't want to dilute that or you don't want to kind of undermine that by describing it in a setting where it's not appropriate. And, you know, for married persons, I imagine this appeals to you as immediately sensible, doesn't require much explanation. For persons who aren't married, you think about some of your your best friendships. Uh, we're not talking about a friendship that you suspect of being somewhat inappropriate. We're just talking about your best friendships. There are certain part of those friendships that you just don't share with other people uh, because yeah, it just pertains to you and the other person involved. And I think there's an element of sanctity for which that's true. You know, like when it comes to the life of grace, there are certain things that we just share with God. And there are other things that we can share, and it's just a matter of sharing those things appropriately. And so, okay, in this context, when St. Augustine says, all right, I'm ready to rock, I'm ready to share, he doesn't say I'm ready to rock, I said that, that's a that's a loose 21st century paraphrase right there. Um, <laughs> but he says the, on, the only way that this is going to work is if we do it charitably. I do it charitably, right? I look to the God who gives me the love with which to testify, and I look to you, the auditor, the hearer, uh, that you receive it with a certain charity. And that's that's tough, but you know, there's this kind of conviction that's present throughout the pages of the confessions that this is only really going to work if we do it in the setting of communion, if we do it in the setting of love. So yeah, it's hard to be vulnerable. It's hard to open up, but you do it with the anticipation that if you are received by the other, then, then good things will come about. So yeah, I mean, how does that inform maybe our reading of the text? It's going to inform fourth century, fifth century readings of the text, but it's also going to inform 21st century readings of the text. How do we approach this with this in mind? Yeah, the infusion of of charity and and that into what we're doing as the driving force it it should it should be our check not just in in making confession or giving testimony or witness but it's always a good question to ask why am I doing this? What's the motivation for this? And this can be a check against, you know, we spent a lot of time with Augustine discussing the vanity of his schooling and of his speaking. This is another time that Augustine is is speaking. He's not giving an oration because it's a written thing, but it's he's proclaiming something. He's giving something to us to read rather than hear. But it's a question of like, why? What's the motivation and what's the end to be gained? Is it, am I just talking to be heard so that someone might admire me? Or is it, again, to bear witness to the mercy of God, to the grace of God in my life. And I think if we can't answer that question or we're unsure, we need to also kind of pause. And if the answer is eh, just to just to be heard, well, you know, sorry to say it's not, that doesn't cut it as a reason. But if, if it is to bring others, to bear witness to God, to sort of testify to his glory, to bring others along, yeah, to even move in our own lives towards greater holiness and that sort of thing, those are good things to be done, um, but it's just giving a testimony in itself is not in say necessarily always good. We need to make sure that there's virtue informing what we're doing, especially when we're being vulnerable. And I think 
Augustine wrote this, and obviously it's been passed down through the centuries, but especially for us in the 21st century, where our media for communication is often one that saves everything forever, you know, whether that's on the internet or on a text or a video, like we can't just like burn the book or burn the journal because that's not where a lot of us are, you know, are recording our, our things. So I think we just need to be attentive to, to those realities. Yeah. And, um, as a kind of final dimension to this, he asks or he describes how the reader ought not approach his confession with a kind of spirit of curiosity. He doesn't use the word curiosity, but he's he's already made mention of curiosity at a you know a variety of points at this stage in the confessions, specifically with respect to Olypius, who like really likes circuses and then like really likes gladiatorial contests and apparently just really likes everything he sets his hands to. But but in this case, he's saying. I want you to approve of what God approves of and to disapprove of what God disapproves of. Well, we've we've all had the experience of being overly interested in a thing that's sad or outrageous or ugly or whatever, you know, like we've all craned our necks to the other side of the highway to see what's going on there with all the flashing lights and the wreckage of vehicles. You know, it's like there's a kind of curiosity at the at the heart of our humanity, which kind of delights in seeing ugly things. And he's saying, I'm going to recount to you some ugly things, or I just did recount to you some ugly things. And I ask that you not delay over them, right? Because I don't want to be guilty of kind of poisoning your mind with images that you find it difficult to chase subsequently, right? I want to edify you. I want to build you up in your own faith. So we should seek to approve of what God approves of and to disapprove of what God disapproves of. There are lots of different practical applications uh, for this you know, commendation or this encouragement in our Christian lives. I don't know if there are particular things that come to mind for you as we live our, uh, our Christian life here and now. Again, for me, it's the oversharing bit of like, what are you, what's the purpose of telling me that? As a priest hearing confessions, there, there can be a bit of that. Either it's, you know, you, you're hearing a confession and kind of the story surrounding the sin goes on and on, or there's just too much information or that sort of thing. And obviously that's a confession. And, you know, when we're talking in a more public setting about what it is that my life has entailed or what's gone on, there's it's that same temptation. And I, I don't think it comes from a bad place. I think it's from a desire to be heard and affirmed. So we kind of like go on until that's until we're heard and affirmed. But we can't be tricked to think that just by sort of offering more, offering things that are just unnecessary to offer somehow makes us more lovable or more kind of affirmed or more approachable. Because truth be told, it's again, it's a matter of charity, it's a matter of prudence and 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 that sort of thing that really kind of shines forth and gives witness to God. All right, so as we have read and as we are reading and as we will continue to read, we try to do so with St. Augustine's encouragements or commendations in mind, that we approve of what God approves of and disapprove of what God disapproves of, that we approach the text with charity and that we seek to do so in the setting of communion so that, you know, head and members, we might constitute the one worshiping Christ. So let's continue. Know of our prayers for you. Please pray for us and we'll catch you next time on Catholic Classics.